estimate, estimated to, to, to be transacting at least 9 billion rand per year. So it's a huge market. In order to get there, you need to be able to build up a track record. Your cash flow module needs to be sharp. This is, um, a, a quote comes to mind. The best time to buy a property was about 10 years ago. The next best time is now. Good evening and welcome to episode 80 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. It's the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about legal matters. We're going to be looking at the six things you should know about last wills and testaments. I'm sure a lot of you, you know, probably do know about wills, especially if you're a property enthusiast, a property investor, or certainly looking into buying your own property. Having a will in place is certainly something that is quite important. And I think a lot of us often take it for granted why it's so important for us to have a will and what the importance of it is, but also what a will essentially governs. Um, we're going to be having a conversation about that this evening, about the importance of having a will and what happens when you do or when you don't have a will, especially when you have a property. So if you've ever had any questions when it comes to your wills, certainly do send them through. We'll be uh, tackling that this evening. Another thing that we're doing, it is of course August, it is Women's Month and as usual, we're running our monthly competition. I'm sure a lot of you have been waiting with bated breath to hear what we've got in store in terms of our competition this month. Yesterday, we announced the two lucky winners who walked away with that amazing cash prize, as we always do. And this time around, we've started a new competition. And as it is Women's Month, we are celebrating women. And what we're asking you to do is to nominate and name any woman in your life or that you know and award them the Private Property Courageous Women Award Certificate. Share with your nominee a short message why they represent love, power, and strength. You and the woman you are celebrating stand a chance of winning 1,000 Rand cash prize. Of course, our hashtag is private property, your space, your rules. Now, the lucky winners are going to be announced right here on the Private Property Podcast on the 14th of August at the end of the show. You certainly do not want to miss this one. So do nominate a courageous woman. Share with us why you want to nominate her. And both of you will walk away with that 1,000 Rand cash prize. Well, of course, we are talking everything, wills and testaments involved. And this evening, I'm joined by Ashley Murray, who is a partner at Murray and Kashiti Attorneys. Good evening, uh, Esri. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Zama. Thank you very much for having me on your show. You know, when when the team and I, uh, you know, when my colleague told me that we're going to be talking about this, one of the first things I told her was, wills are one of those things that are just so contentious. You know, we end up seeing families getting divided because, you know, somebody might not have been, you know, included in the, in the father or the mother's will, or <laughs> some people are even questioning the validity of the will. There's always just so much constantation when it comes to a will. Instead of, for example, you know, parents sitting their children down and saying, you know what, we're go I'm going to have a will in place, and this is how roughly the state is going to be divided. But unfortunately, we know that that's not quite how, you know, 
things work out. Before we even look at, uh, you know, what happens in the event where somebody has a will, especially when they have a property or when they don't have a will and how that estate gets handled, perhaps take us through what the requirements of a valid will are. Because I'm sure you've probably heard, and I'm sure viewers at home, you've even seen this in the movies, where you know the father or the mother has written a letter and somebody discovers it underneath the mattress or the wardrobe, and they think that that's a valid will. But of course, you, we all know that you know there's, there's a, there's certain, certain requirements for a document to be a valid will. So take us through firstly what the requirements for that valid will are. Yes, Zama, the requirements are, are quite easy, but not easy for everyone to get them right. Um, so they are, in terms of the Wills Act, uh, testator needs to be um, over the age of 16 years. Um, obviously, you have your exemptions available, which, as I said to you earlier on, it's so difficult to have these discussions without having to say that in every situation there's exemption to everything. But on the basis and understanding that that person is able um, to, to draft the will, they must be older than 16 years. Then besides that, the will must be um, in writing. So it can either be in handwriting or it can be on, on your computer typed. And each page of the will needs to be initialed in the bottom right-hand corner by the testator and signed in full on the last page. Then, Two witnesses, two competent witnesses over the age of 14 need to also witness each and every page in the presence of the testator and also sign in full on the last page. Also bear in mind if you have a, a, a large open piece of your last page of your will open, you have to actually draw a line through it to make sure that Nothing is incorporated in the will at a later stage that wasn't there in the beginning. And that's, that's, basically, that's basically that. And also, a witness can't be a beneficiary in terms of the will. Um, so those are the requirements. And I was actually about to ask that, Esther, that, you know, if we use sort of a normal family uh, as an example, so your mother does a will, um, and in the example that I did in the introduction, that oftentimes somebody after the, the death discovers a letter of some kind, um, let's suppose that particular letter is in fact signed by the mother. So essentially saying that uh, in the event where the aunt witnesses to that particular document, it's essentially A, isn't a valid will. And in the event where let's say the kids are the ones who essentially signed as witnesses, then again, it won't fall uh, or rather it won't be regarded as a valid will. Yeah, obviously, unless the testator doesn't want the children to, to inherit anything. <laughs> but other than that, yes, that would be 100% correct. And, and then maybe let's, you know, get into a lot of viewers at home are obviously property enthusiasts, whether they're property um, investors, some of them already own property, certainly some of them are looking into owning their own property. So where their wills are concerned, there's always going to be property um, involved in them. Let's perhaps look at what happens when a property owner dies without a valid will. You know what then happens so we now know that you know your mom or your dad has sadly passed away but there wasn't a willing state and perhaps they did have the like for example the family home that they had maybe a few valuables as well uh, what would then happen in that circumstance yeah so that's regulated in terms of the interstate succession act and this act specifically provides for circumstances in which um 
the estate is divided amongst the, 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 the living spouse um, and also the children. So perhaps, you know, there are, there are a few scenarios which you can go through. If there's only a spouse, um, then the spouse inherits absolutely everything. If there's a spouse and two children, for argument's sake, the spouse will either inherit a child share, which is then because they three, two children and a wife, so it will be a third, or 250,000 rand, whichever amount is bigger, the larger amount. Then if you have no spouse, no children, no one left, but you've got um, two parents, then they will, they will inherit 50-50. The most important thing in an interstate um, uh, estate is that if a child is going to inherit, and that is a child under the age of 18 years old, the funds will go to the guardian's fund, which is, which is a, a fund where it's very difficult to first of all um, get the funds out of eventually when you want it. Um, and I would, that's one of the biggest reasons why I would, um, why I'm prompting for everyone to have a will, um, because that's, that's the one place where you really are at risk if children are going to inherit. And I mean, I can imagine, Estri, that you've probably had, you know, different people who probably approach your offices or certainly people who approach various lawyers that their parent has passed away. Um, and let's say their father uh, was, is still alive. And we certainly see this in a lot of black homes where sometimes the, you know, the, the parents separate. They were formerly uh, uh, married, but they now essentially separate without formally divorcing. They live very separate lives and have been living those very separate lives for sometimes even two decades or even longer or since the children were quite young. And the moment that they pass away, the father kind of comes out of nowhere uh, wanting a share of uh, essentially his wife's estate. So what you're essentially saying to us that because the woman in that scenario wouldn't have had a will that you know clearly stipulates that she wants her belongings um, or her estate to be divided in such a manner, essentially the husband, uh, almost roughly speaking, in that context would have um, validity for a certain percentage of uh, her estate. Yes, yeah, so she, she won't automatically just get everything if, if there are other children involved, other women involved, etc. Um, and maybe the last point just to make on an Interstate Succession Act um, is the fact that if, if there was no heirs, no one, no children, no spouse, no parents, no one, then ultimately this, the state gets everything that's in the estate. So that's also one of the risks of not having a, um, a will in place. So, I mean, and, and I want to almost drive this one home. So in the event that you've just painted, you certainly aren't married, do not have children. Perhaps you've got siblings as the, you're an old person, you've got siblings, you've got nephews and nephews, they have children. If you don't explicitly write a will where you put them in, are you saying that even in those contexts, the state would essentially um, get your whole estate? No, no. So the, the, the Interstate Succession Act clearly sets out a formula in which you can actually um, inherit. And this formula, it goes up and it goes down in, in terms of depending on how many, um, inherent, uh, uh, how many um, beneficiaries you have in place. So if you've, got, if you've got a wife, then you will horizontally 
um, you know, she will, she will inherit. If you have children, it will go down and the children will inherit. If those children aren't alive and they've got children, their children will inherit. If you don't have anyone at the bottom, you go up to the top. If you've got parents who are alive and siblings who are alive, they will then get the inheritance. So you'll have to actually go back and back and back and back to see whether there is actually someone that can inherit. But what I'm actually just saying is that if you get to a point where there, there is no one in this person's life, for arguments like someone that's, that's living on the streets, um, whatever they own, it will go to the state, if anything, but it will go to the state. Now, you know, Esther, perhaps let's go to then what happens uh, when people pass away, but we ha they have a valid will in place. Because I think, uh, you know, maybe people are going to watch the Private Property Podcast and they're going to understand the importance of having a will in place. And after the show, they'll, you know, speak to various attorneys and then finally have a will in place. And now that they've got this will in place and suppose 20, 30 years down the line, they certainly pass away. What then happens in that event when... Uh, you have a will in place and you essentially pass away. Yes, so I think the, the, the first comment I'd like to make, if you have a will in place, you need to pat yourself on the back. If you don't have a will in place, then um, you need to make a plan very quickly. If, if I look at, and I'd like to just explain it in by way of, of the picture that we, that, we, um, that we drew for the intestate secession with someone dying without a will. If we take that same, say for arguments like it's a husband that died without a will, he now has a will. He has a wife and he has two children. In your will, you can actually regulate that either your wife gets everything and your children don't get anything at this point in time because you know that whatever your wife is going to inherit, your children will at least get something of that. But... The, the beauty of having a will is that you can actually structure it in the way that you actually want your estate to be planned going forward. And, and specifically, if I refer to an interstate matters where the, the funds of the minors, minor children, go to the guardian's fund, in this scenario, it, you can actually set up a trust in your will, which will, which will um, come into effect on your death will be established for the benefit of your children and you can you appoint a trustee who then the funds then go into that trust and that's regulated by your trustees who you gave the the rights and obligations to and the duties in order to look after your children so i think you know to me that's that's the the beauty of of having a world you can you can make specific requests if you've got two or three pets that you really feel um, worried about and you, you want, you know, you want something, uh, you want them to go to specific people, then at least you can provide for that. There's another thing you can provide for um, besides having the trust in place for your children is you can also obviously appoint guardians. Say for instance, um, your wife isn't able to take care of the children um, in this specific scenario, then you can appoint your sister or whoever you want to in order to look after your children. It just gives, if there's ever a contentious issue and your grandmother comes along and she says, I actually wanted to look after my children, it gives the court, if the matter goes to court, just that extra safety and security knowing that this is what the testator intended it to be. 
So it's really, if you want an intentional estate planning, a will is the only way for you to achieve that. So then you would also provide in your will for, I've, I've gone through the children, I've gone through the appointment of an executor, that's the other important thing. So, um, and, and certainly in the rest of our discussion that we're going to have, the executor is going to play a very big role. So you'd, you'd, you'd ultimately would want someone in your family who understands and knows what your wants and your beliefs were um, in order to provide for the rest of your estate um, to be divided. But then also ultimately the executor, if it's someone that's not an expert um, in, in these kind of scenarios, they will appoint an attorney or the bank, as you said, um, to be appointed as the executor, but then just actually acting on behalf of that executor appointed in terms of your will. Uh, the same thing I'm in conversation with Esther Murray, who's a partner at Murray's and Pashiti attorneys, and we're looking at the things you should know about last wills and testaments. It's one of those really tough conversations to certainly have as a family, but something that we should probably normalize. And I think more than anything, it's also one of those very admin intensive, heavy things, uh, or at least I tend to you know, look at them as, oh my God, there's another thing that I need to do as an adult, making sure that I have a will in place. But it's certainly something that's important to have, especially for us as property owners and property investors. And even if you don't have immovable property, you know, the moment you have even your pension, you're able to say that this is how you essentially want your various um, you know, assets to be distributed amongst your family. Um, and so that you make sure that your loved ones don't have to stress about it when you have passed on. We're going to go for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at, you know, the role the executor plays, but also the different ways that uh, property, the immovable property is actually handled in wills. If you have got any questions around wills and testaments, especially as a property owner, do send them through. We'll be dealing with them just after this break. Welcome back to episode 80 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamantunga Kumalo. This evening, we're talking about the six things you should know about last wills and testaments. And I'm speaking to Esri Murray, who's a partner at Murray Pashiti Attorneys. Now, Esri, one of the things that you mentioned before the break was, you know, an executor. And you certainly said that, you know, this is probably something that we're going to be discussing quite a bit in the second half of our conversation. For viewers at home, what exactly is the executor and what do they do? So, Zama, the executor is appointed in terms of the will um, in order to, um, to wind up the estate. So the first step to winding up the estate would be to literally take the original will to, and, to the master and, um, and go through an entire list of things that you need to um, do in order to wind up this estate, which I think can be a, a, a separate chat on another day. But certainly for our purposes, um, in, in, in a will, um, the executor will be appointed to wind up the estate. And, it, and as I said and confirmed, that it would be someone that 
understands and, and knows the family and, and, and knew, obviously, the testator and knows what they wanted um, and, and how they wanted it um, to be planned going forward. And then perhaps let's look at, um, you know, because a lot of viewers who certainly watch the Private Property Podcast are, you know, either property investors or they've got their own, they've bought their primary residence, they're certainly looking at buying their uh, primary residence. Perhaps take us through, you know, what, how real estate uh, is essentially handled in a world because I think we're able to say perhaps if you've got a bit of you know cash in the bank or perhaps even your pension this uh, this is how you'd you know preferably want to go but now you've got this physical immovable property how is that essentially regulated in a world? Yeah so um, like any other bequest that you make you would in your world set out what you have in your estate and what, how you want it to be distributed. And one of the things that this, this executor that we spoke about does is um, if, if, the property, uh, if the estate is over a specific amount, um, 250,000 Rand, then you will have to have a liquidation and distribution account um, drafted. This liquidation and distribution account is basically um, the executor taking the assets and liabilities, income and expenses in the estate and transferring it into a document called the liquidation and distribution account, which then sets out, I've got a house in Clifton, it's worth 6 million rand. I've got a flat in Woodstock, it's worth 3 million rand. And you would set out the exact addresses and the exact um, the, uh, property description of how that property is described in order for the master to then pick up where the property is, what it's all about, is the value that, you, that you're giving it, um, is it a fair market value, um, you would have to provide um, certain valuations to that effect. Um, so that's how you provide it in the liquidation and distribution account. That liquidation and distribution account then lies at the master's office open for inspection. Um, it would also be advertised in uh, the government gazette or a local newspaper. And for anyone that still has a, a debt that they want to come and um, money that the state owed them that they um, that they are looking for, they can then come and they can they can say they would they want that to be added to the liquidation and distribution account. But for purposes of property, um, that's certainly how you do it. You set out your property in your will, the um, property description, the exact description that we know that we're dealing with the right property, we don't want to transfer the wrong one. And then also then it will automatically go into the liquidation and distribution account. And then ultimately we will deal with it now um, in the later part of our discussion. We've got a question here, um, from Mata Shingani who asks, what happens when one leaves a property to their child and their grandchild who is over 18? Who has a say over what happens to the property? So um, if I understand the question correctly, um, there's a will and they're leaving the property to their child and their grandchild. Yes. That's 100% correct. That's one of the ways in which you can um, you know, inherit the property. So um, you would ultimately your executor will provide for that in the liquidation and distribution account that this, this property registered in the name of John Smith will now be going to the daughter and the, the granddaughter. 
and then you'll go through the normal transfer process, which we will also discuss now. And um, then they own the property 50-50. So you'll transfer the 100% share in two shares, one for the daughter and one for the mother. So essentially now it's not one person who has, uh, you know, superior say, because I think Martha's question is, is almost asking uh, if the mother would now perhaps have more say than the grandchild um, in a scenario like that. Because I know a lot of us are thinking, well, I'm older. I know your grandmother might have left you this property along with me. Uh, but because I'm the older one, I'm the one who should have more say. So essentially in that scenario, both of you have an equal say. So should, for example, you want to now sell the property, so you've got the 50-50 share, it's been transferred in both your names. So should the one party perhaps want to sell the property, you're essentially saying that it's, if the other party doesn't want to sell, you probably have to buy this party out as opposed to it being sold to somebody else. Yes, I mean, there are many ways to skin that cat, but I think um, you would either yeah, give your 50% share to or sell your 50% share to the one that doesn't want to sell, or you can only sell a 50% share if the other, um, the, the, the one that wants to stay with the 50% share and sell it to someone else if they're in agreement with that. Um, so there are many ways in which you can do that, or both of them must convince each other that they're actually going to sell. So there are many ways, but it, it certainly needs to be an agreement, and there needs to be a, a sale agreement to that effect. And I suppose, Esri, this actually essentially speaks to the transfer process, right? So perhaps take us through what exactly goes through the transfer process of a property uh, when there is a will in place. So people, what should be people uh, be aware of in terms of how the transfer process is going to be taking place? Yes. So the, the transfer process, much like any other transfer, um, we start off with a base document which is either in, in, in a normal transfer, your sale agreement. My sale agreement in effect in a, in a transfer, um, a deceased estate transfer is the will. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have the will and to say exactly what you want needs to happen in the will. So I, as the conveyancer, will then have to follow the will. I also, in fact, have to take the, um, depending on the circumstances, to make sure that the original will is in place with the master. And that's where your executor comes in. Me being the conveyancer, doing the ultimate transfer of the property is usually not the executor of the property. So say for instance, it was, it was your father that passed away and you are the executor. You as the executor will then lodge the estate with the master um, to make sure that the master knows that this person has passed away. You'll lodge the their certificates, the will, all of the documents that they require you to lodge. And then also when you start drafting that big and scary liquidation distribution account we spoke about, then um, that's when I come in. So then you refer the, the transfer to a conveyancer. It can only be a conveyancer that does transfer in the deeds office, a conveyancer and a notary. And um, and then the, that process takes place. It's a normal transfer process. We, we, take, we take the will, that's our base document. Exec, so depending on what you do, whether the, the property is going to be inherited by a, a spouse or a, a beneficiary, that's one aspect of it. So then I don't, have, I, I don't have to have a sale agreement. I just go on the will. If the, the heirs decide that, okay, 
we don't really we can't really afford this property that we've now um, been in, that we inherited. We want to sell. You then have to have um, permission. They have to confirm that they want to sell, and the master needs to give permission that that's that's in order. And also, then at that point in time, then I'm going to have to have a sale agreement in place if you go, are going to sell to a third party. So then I work on the sale agreement. And in both instances, whether my base document is the will or the sale agreement, I go through the normal transfer process. We start drafting the documents, you sign your conveyancing documents and the transfer documents. Is there going to be a bond that needs to be cancelled over the property? Are you going to register a bond over the property? Um, is it a 50% share being transferred? Is it the full 100% share? You sign all the documents. Then um, we have to apply for a rights clearance certificate. We have to apply to SARS for an exemption certificate. So the good news for inheritance um, in terms of a deceased estate and, um, is that there's no transfer duty payable. So that's the good thing, but we still have to apply to SARS. If it's a sectional title, we apply for a levy clearance certificate. You pay the levies up to date and you pay the levies for two to three months in advance. You pay the rates two to three months in advance, um, et cetera. And you get all those expenses out of the way, get those documents drafted. We ultimately lodge in the deeds office and it goes through the examination process. And then at the end of the day, gets registered into the new owner's name. Comment here, follow up comment from Martha saying that I learned some of these things when my dad passed on. Tough lessons to learn when you are grieving. It's best to get your house in order while there's still time. And I'm sure as you've certainly come across this one, I think so many of us. Uh, you know, take death for granted in so many different ways and thinking we've got time, you know, this is one of those things that I'm sure a lot of us think, ah, I'll get to it another time, another time. And the next thing you know, you've probably been saying that for so long that unfortunately somebody does pass away and in your moment of grief, it's so easy to not keep up with everything that's essentially happening. You probably might have people calling you um, and those kinds of things. Yeah. And certainly difficult for you to try and, you know, follow up uh, with all of these things that are involved. Perhaps take us through, you know, what kind of trust are we essentially looking at? I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed. Maybe wills are so expensive to even um, have drafted, never mind the estate being winded down and all those kinds of things. What kind of costs are we talking about here, Isri? Yes, so maybe can I just go back to the other comment that you made that, um, death is so at such a difficult time to go through but what people also need to take into account is also on divorce so the two aspects is is death when you need to change your will and make sure that everything's in order but also divorce and there's there's one situation where i'm not sure whether everyone knows this but you get a grace period after being divorced and if you don't change your will within three months of being divorced then your will will be the same as if, as if you never got divorced. So if, if I decided, <laughs> I can see your eyes, if I decided <laughs> You're to telling leave, me, um, I were to be married right now, Isri, and suppose, uh, you know, I had given, let's say, I mean, I, I'm child-free, if I had said uh, the hus my husband must get 50% or must get essentially 100% of my estate uh, in the event that I pass on, and suppose next month we divorce, if I don't, you know, amend my will in three months time and I pass away in January, that means that that will is still valid. He'll still get everything 
that I said he must get in the world as opposed to it, let's say going to my mother because now interstate would say, okay, she's, she's not married, so she's divorced, she's child-free, therefore who's sort of the next in line, they look at the parents. So is that essentially what yeah. you're saying? Yes, so, so if it's for three months, for three months, they, 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 they kind of see it as, okay, you have a grace period. If you die within three months, it won't happen. But if you haven't changed it within three months, then that's the case, yes. So if, if you've just divorced and you had a will in place, this is your time to... to Best you change it. Get on Absolutely. the phone with your attorney and make sure that you certainly change your will. I'm sure a lot of people who are either going through a divorce have just gone through a divorce certainly have different ways of looking at how they want their estate to go as far as their ex-spouse is concerned. But Ezra, before that one, we're looking at costs because I'm sure viewers at home are thinking, okay, this is probably one of those things that might be expensive. I mean, we already know that property in many ways is expensive, but there are certain things that we must invest in in order for us to save money on the long run. And if anything, making sure that our legal matters when we are alive and when we pass on are in place so that the, certainly the work that we're putting in now with our properties, building our property portfolio and property businesses, we're not just doing it for ourselves, but doing it for our children and our children's children. So this is certainly one of those things that as property investors, we regard as quite important and a way for us to certainly build you know, generational wealth as much as possible. So what kind of costs are we looking into or looking at when we look at um, wills and making sure that everything is structured sufficiently? Yeah, so I think it needs to be divided up in, into three different scenarios. The first one is the costs of the will. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a difficult answer to give you. Some some banks will probably do it for a thousand rand. Um, then attorneys um, usually charge their hourly rate, which can range anything between four hundred and fifty rand an hour. Um, if it takes you, if it's a, a plan and simple will, then it will be quite quick up until probably 5,000 Rand, up to 10,000 Rand um, for the drafting of the will if it's a bit more complicated. In terms of the, um, the after death scenario, that's just the drafting of the will. Um, with winding up the estate, the executor actually can get 3.5% of the full value of the estate and also 6% of the income generated um, since the death until the winding up of the estate. So if there are any bank accounts and there are, um, there's interest running on that, then 6% of that can go to the executor. Obviously, you can um, well, contract out of it. Um, if, you, you know, if, 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 if you understand and know and understand that the, that the estate can't really afford it, then possibly there are ways around it. But, but that's certainly the guidelines of what we're working with. Then in as much as transfers are concerned, um, I think that also needs to be divided up into two sections. The first section is, if it's a transfer to the heir, to, to the son or the wife um, or a family member, then in that instance, the estate pays for, the, for almost everything. Um, so the estate pays for the rights up to date, um, for the, the drafting of the documentation, etc. But... Um, as with a purchaser, the, um, the heirs would have to then make sure that they can pay for some disbursements um, for the attorneys, et cetera, if, if there's not enough in the estate to pay for. If it's a transfer to a third party, that's a normal situation of a normal transfer, where the seller, being the estate, 
on, and it's the executor on behalf of the estate, pays for the rates and taxes and only pays for, um, for the, the property-related matters such as levies and the things that need to be paid up to date until transfer takes place. The purchaser pays for the attorney for the conveyancer doing the transfer. So that's, that's usually the biggest amount to pay. And then where transfer duty is payable, which is not in this case, then, um, then that's payable um, by the purchaser. So usually it's the purchaser that's in for all the costs, but in the event of, of transfer to an heir, that's mostly paid by the estate. Uh, we've got a question here, Esri, from Simpiwe Sangwen, who asks, are there any tax implications for assets on a will? So in the event where uh, perhaps you have, you're going to be giving uh, with X amount of money, X a number of properties to whether it's your spouse or your children, are there any tax in, uh, implications to those? Yes, there are many tax implications, but I would suggest that that's dealt with at a later stage. Um, basically also because I think, uh, you know, the one, the one portion of advice I'd like to give everyone tonight, besides drafting a will, is doing proper estate planning. So the answer is also not just to go to um, the bank or to go to um, P&A and get a draft template of a will and to just sign the will. Um, if it's a bit more complicated than just having a car and uh, maybe a flat, then I, I would really suggest estate planning and tax planning is something to be taken into account. And um, that's, that's, a, that's a, a very loaded question with a very loaded answer. But certainly I think that's where estate planning needs to become very relevant when drafting your work. And I think it's certainly something that we're going to look into because I think it's one of those uh, you know, conversations that you can certainly have for half an hour, but the various ways to um, structure your estate so that it's also tax efficient uh, yes. so in the event of your death, but also ensure that um, the way that you structure, uh, you know, whoever you're going to be giving, whether it's money or the properties of your various assets to are structured in a particular way. I mean, certainly, for example, last week looked at, uh, you know, people buying properties into a trust or buying them under a P2ILTD. And now we're essentially looking at now that we are these property investors and you have these different instruments, we certainly need a will in place to be able to govern some of them. And I suppose another very separate, you know, episode is almost getting to the meat of some of the best ways. And there isn't one way. I mean, certainly I'm sure viewers at home are picking this up that there isn't a one size fits all um, when it comes to legal matters or estate planning, that it really does go with, you know, what your situation is and what, mm -hmm what your needs are, how your family is. So understanding that at the core becomes quite important, but we'll certainly look at another episode that will give us better insight into, you know, the best ways to certainly structure our estate, because I think it is one of those things that we need a completely different conversation to. Esri, before I let you go, any final tips that you have for viewers at home when it comes to wills? Yes, I think um, there's, there's the saying that says, where there's a will, there's a way. And I'd like to just change it a bit to say where, say where there's a will, there's a way forward. Um, and I think if, if anything, um, that's what everything, everyone needs to take out of this tonight. Um, also, maybe it's where I can just throw in where I mentioned to you earlier that it's um, World's Month um, in September. 
um, which means that you know um, anyone of the on the public, any of the public can go to um, attorneys and they can ask them to draft the will for free. And I think it's a it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, it's next month um, for everyone to make sure that their affairs are in order. And just make sure when you're drafting your will um, to make sure that you sign make two originals that you can keep one and you give your executor one. So I think just be sure that you know where it's kept and tell your family members where it's being kept so that they don't have to um, find. I mean, we've had circumstances where someone has drafted a will that they find one will and then they find another will in the drawer. So I think it's quite important to, to know where it is at and provide for your pets, provide for your children in it, provide for the trusts um, and make sure that all the funds don't go to the state and that you, you have control over what happens next. Esther, we're going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Zama. And that is Esri Murray, who's a partner at Murray Pashiti Attorneys. I think, as Esri said, if there's certainly one big takeaway that you can take from this episode is that uh, if there's a will, there's a way forward. And that's certainly one of the things that we want a lot of you at home to get into, making sure that you have a will in place. We're certainly going to be looking at the issue of will yet again next month. It is going to be will, National Wills Week. And we'll certainly be having you know, an attorney who can talk to us a bit more in depth when it comes to this one, because I think a lot a lot of us feel quite overwhelmed when it comes to how to even structure you know our estate or certainly what we should be writing down and that's exactly what attorneys are there for to help guide us in terms of navigating this particular legal matter well folks that's it from us this evening it has been a great episode of the private property um, podcast remember to enter our competition that we're running this woman's month all you have to do is nominate the woman that you think should be winning the award that we are running for this month we certainly have shared the competition details details below so do click right here below and share with us what you think you know this particular woman how she uh you know captures how her strengths her love and her values and both of you stand a chance of winning 1000 rand cash price and we'll be announcing the winner right here on the private property podcast on the 14th of august until tomorrow evening that's it from me zamantongwa kumala and as usual i'm hoping you're staying home and staying safe I'm Rick Nittling. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and shareholder and marketing director of Aldevia Estate, which recently acquired Pearl Valley Estate. I've been living in the beautiful Paul Frontrick Valley for the last five years. We are situated right in the heart of the Cape Winelands. Security is our number one priority, and it's something we work on every day. And this has earned us the reputation of being the safest estate in Africa. The lifestyle that this area has to offer truly is country living at its best. We're just five minutes away from the historic town of Paul. Paul really is an incredible area to explore with little gems like the Spice Root and Fairview Farms. But the biggest attraction is the excellent schools. Franchuk, on the other hand, is a major international tourist destination and also known as the culinary capital of South Africa, with a diverse offering for every palate and occasion. Our recent acquisition of Pearl Valley is a major game changer for us. Our residents can now enjoy a wide range of amenities unmatched anywhere else in the world. There's the world-famous Jack Nicklaus Signature Golf Course, which is consistently ranked among the top golf courses in South Africa. 
and there are some beautiful properties on the course. Folder V really is the ideal family environment. We also cater to equestrian lovers with facilities on offer for every discipline, from the two Hurlingham standard polo fields to our state-of-the-art equestrian centres and miles of trails. Our horses live in paradise too. Aldevi has its own wine farm and cellars, producing award-winning wines, which every resident can be proud of. I've been blessed to travel the world, but this is the place I come home to. I'm sure you can see why we call it the Valley of Life. And this is my neighborhood.